This week on Myths and Legends, it's the story of the Queen of the Serpents. You'll learn all about why snakes are terrible husbands, and that if you're looking to get out of something, just send a goose in a dress. No one will suspect a thing. The creature this week is a wet chicken who will make you rich. Unless you use their food bowl as a bathroom, then they'll burn your house down. This is Myths and Legends, episode 185. With this hiss, I thee wed. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you'd think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. Today's story comes from Lithuanian folklore, and it's one that's been recommended to me with a lot of enthusiasm by more than a few people over the years. But I have to thank one listener, Montes, for not only recommending the story recently, but for helping me out with the pronunciation. Basically, this story is set in Lithuania in, like, a vaguely ancient or medieval time period. It's a world of magic, and, well, you'll see. We'll talk more about the deeper themes at the end of the episode. But for now, I'm just going to jump right into some young women bathing and a nearby animal who has a question. Agle, promise to be my wife, and I will come out of your shirt, the voice inside the young woman's shirt declared. Agle, the youngest of 12 sons and three daughters, didn't quite know how to respond. I mean, it was a no, obviously, but a snake hiding in your shirt while you and your sisters bathed in the river, only allowing you to get dressed if you promised to marry it. This was new, even by ancient world standards. Her older sister knew what to do. She scooped up the blouse, wrapping up the arms and pinning the bottom part. She spun it around her head and slammed it hard on the ground. After a half dozen hits, she tossed the shirt to the ground and jumped on it. Brushing her hands and smirking, she told her sister she could get dressed now, in a shirt that was more likely than not ruined by snake blood. Yeah, I'm a magical talking snake, they heard as the head popped from the shirt. That's not nearly enough to kill me. Anyway, Agle, have you given any more thought to my offer of marriage? If you promise to be my bride, I will gladly come out of your blouse. Agle pursed her lips. No, no, absolutely not, period. The snake then ducked back into the shirt. Fine, he was staying. Sis, people are coming. You, we should have all our clothes back on, the sister said. She took Agle aside. It, it was a serpent. That was it. How many snakes had their father killed? They could get her back to the farm and everything would be fine. Tell the snake what he wants to hear so we can get out of here. Returning to the snake in her blouse, Agle sighed. Yes, okay, she would marry the snake, just give her her shirt back. With that, the snake, who was big but not massive, slithered from the shirt, asking if that was really so difficult. All right, he knew where she lived. He would be by. Agle glowered at the snake as she buttoned her shirt. He would be by and they would be ready. Agley had finished telling her father, a simple old farmer, of what happened at the river, when he put his hand on his daughter's shoulder, 
she didn't need to worry. She wasn't marrying a serpent. Because how would that work even? And also, the next serpent he saw was meeting the edge of his axe. Talking or no. Agla and her father heard the curtains being pulled back and then footsteps rushing to their room. Dad? Agla, the, uh, the ground's moving? The youngest son and one of Agla's older brothers said. The ground wasn't moving, of course, but that would have probably been better than what was actually happening. You see, the king of the serpents had sent an envoy to the home of his bride-to-be. And when you're the king of all the serpents in the world, you can encourage a good turnout. So that's why, as far as the eye could see, and certainly covering the entirety of Agle's family farm, serpents slithered and squirmed. Agle's father gripped his axe, but his wife lowered his arm and shook her head. They heard a knock at the door, which I can only assume is the messenger snake pounding his own head against the door, which is hilarious. Agle's father told her to hide. He would handle this. The family opened the door to see a sea of serpents and one polite messenger serpent waiting at the door. The father sighed and invited the snake inside. The snake said that he had come to discuss the terms of the union. The man at first was noncommittal, but seeing all the serpents in the land gathered on his farm, just sitting there, their cold eyes watching, the story says it doesn't really matter what you feel. So he did it. He promised to give his daughter to the serpents, but ah, she wasn't here. She was with her aunt, but she was coming back at the end of the week. Would that be enough time for the king of the serpents? The messenger sat coiled, tongue licking the air. The farmer was a good man. The snake was choosing to believe that a good man would remain a good man and not try to, you know, deceive a snake. The father shook his head. No, absolutely not. He wouldn't dream of it. He loved to give his daughter to a reptile. It's like every father's dream. The end of the week, he promised. Snakes are like super easy to deceive, the local wise woman said. Snakes are stupid. Really? The farmer was incredulous. Weren't snakes like an ancient symbol of evil and deception? And they also can't get out of a pillowcase. I mean, look at their tiny little brains, the wise woman rejoined. What was his point? As soon as the snake entourage had cleared out, the father had booked it into town to talk to the local wise woman. He said he felt constricted by the Serpent King's demands. They were relentless. The wise woman narrowed her eyes. Okay, that was enough of that. The solution was simple. To trick a serpent, instead of your daughter, give him a goose and just send the wedding presents. And it worked. The Serpent King's lead minister looked on the bride. She truly was beautiful. A lot more feathers than his king had led him to believe was... Was the farmer sure that this was a human? The farmer nodded. Yeah, look at her blouse and dress. Animals don't wear clothes. The snake inspected the blouse, which wasn't just a baby shirt shoved on a goose in what was surely a long morning for everyone. The lead snake nodded. Well, this all checked out. He would be taking the bride and the wedding presents with him in the carriage. The one that the farmer had set out for them. Good day. How a snake drives a carriage is completely beyond me, but they did. All the snakes piled aboard, next to the bride who absolutely wasn't just a goose in a dress, 
and they went off. When they were gone, Aglake came out of the basement. Was it over? It was over. And they would have gotten away with it, too, if it wasn't for that meddling cuckoo. On the drive back, the snakes heard a noise from the trees. It was a cuckoo, calling down for them. Uh, cuckoo, cuckoo, this is the sound we make. Hey, you guys have been tricked. You know that's a goose in a dress, right? If a horse-drawn, snake-driven carriage could screech to a stop, it would have. The snakes were back at the farm within the hour. If the snake could have gotten up in the farmer's face and poked at his chest, he would have. Who did the farmer think he was? Did he want to get eaten by a thousand snakes? Because this is how you get eaten by a thousand snakes. The farmer hung his head. He nodded. He said he was sorry. He shouldn't have tried to deceive such intelligent creatures. Bring Agley out, the farmer yelled back to his family. From the house, they pushed Agley out. Her wool popped around her beautiful dress, and she was resisting. Ah, she doesn't want to go. Look at how she's on all fours, begging me. This is so hard, I'll just carry her, the father said to the snake in charge. The snakes all piled in beside the bleeding Agley, and they rode off. Hey, uh, Cuckoo, that's... That one's a sheep, guys. Yeah, livestock, the cuckoo said. And the snakes turned around. The farmer said that that last one was an honest mistake. Someone dressed up a sheep, and I mean, not a bad-looking sheep. Was the Serpent King sure he didn't? No? All right, here is Agle. Bye, honey, love you. Agle mooed in response, and the carriage was off. Cow, guys, come on. Cuckoo, the bird said. Now, the snake said his boss was waiting, and he would be taking Agle. Did the farmer want the young woman to live with a happy snake or a sad snake? And after they came back and took her by force, they wouldn't kill the farmer. Oh, no, no, no. They would destroy his land and make sure his family slowly starved. And if he tried to flee, they would follow. They were snakes. They didn't have a lot going on. Finally, the farmer felt a hand on his arm. It was Agle. She had gotten dressed in the clothes of a bride herself. She knew they couldn't hold out against the snakes much longer. She didn't know why this curse had been visited upon her, but she would bear it for the people she loved. She said she was going with the snakes. What is that, like a cat? I Snakes tend to have poor vision, the lead snake said. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me. I can't get fooled again. The farmer said that this was truly his daughter. A human girl, not a goose, sheep, or a cow. She was leaving under her own volition, under extreme duress. As the carriage passed the cuckoo for the fourth time that day, the snake slowed. The cuckoo looked down. Yep, that's her. A human woman. Take her, go. The groom awaits his bride. I don't know why the cuckoo was so invested in this relationship. Anyway, it's said that Agle and her chaperones arrived at the sea. There, on the beach, shirt open and Fabio hair blowing in the wind, was the snake. But not like a snake with Fabio hair, but a human man. He approached Agle, took her hand, and kissed it. He said that he was the snake that had crawled inside her blouse. Agle said that you could look like that and not coerce women into marrying you under threat of death. He would do pretty well for himself. The extremely handsome prince shrugged. 
Why? When you have a whole army of snakes to convince any woman to marry you, why deal with dating? Agile took a deep breath. Fun conversation to have with your future husband. All right, where is home going to be now? He took her under the sea to his palace made out of amber. And the pair was married. They drank, danced, and feasted for three weeks straight. Agle was making the best of things. Was her husband a snake in human form who had threatened her family with violence if she didn't marry him immediately? Yes. Could she do anything about that fact now? She realized that she could not. She didn't know where life would take her, but being a queen of a beautiful underwater kingdom married to the king of serpents who was actually just a really good-looking guy? Not exactly what she expected, but she would take it in stride. In time, it said that she completely forgot about her homeland, which was completely of her own doing, and not just because of any magic worked on her by her snake husband. Nope, she was just happy, just completely happy with her magical pseudo-reptilian kidnapper. No need to dig any deeper here. Over the next nine years, she gave birth to three sons, Azulus, Uasus, and Barzus, and one daughter, Thrabula. And many years after that, when the sons were young men, Agla was sitting back, telling them about their life. But mom, where, where do your parents live? Can we visit them? Agla searched her mind. Her parents. Her parents! She had left them! She had been taken from them! She rose from her children and stormed into the room she shared with the king of the serpents. My parents, she said. Wait, who told you you had parents? The king of the serpents asked. And then he snapped his fingers. He should have talked to the kids about not awakening their mother's memory. But you just said that out loud, you know, Agley remarked. The king of the serpents looked surprised. He held out his hand and focused on her. You will not ask any more about your homeland. You will forget it even exists. But no, that doesn't work on me anymore. I'm going home. The serpent king shrugged. The serpent king shrugged. Absolutely. She knows the way, though, right? Agla looked up. At the whole ocean above her. Uh... The Serpent King said that's what he thought. Okay, he'll make a deal. She spends this tuft of silk, and he'll tell her how to get home. She took the tuft of silk in hand. She was a medieval woman who had been raised for this. Give her ten minutes. We'll see that making some silk will not be as easy as Agley thinks, but that will be right after this. Ten days later, Agley was before the local wise woman, like her father before her. She said that she thought her husband was deceiving her. The wise woman was surprised. Serpents being deceitful? Wow, this was new. Agle said, okay, come on. All right, what could she do? She wanted to visit her home, show her kids where they came from. The wise woman said it was easy. Toss the tuft of silk into a fire. Agle nodded. And when she got home, she found someone making bread in the kitchen. Without a second thought, 
she tossed the tuft into a fire, and in seconds, the outer parts were burned away. Inside was a toad. Aglib braved the flames to grab the toad. The story says that the toad was, quote, making silk from its body. And yeah, it could have been spitting it out its mouth. But there's also a non-zero chance that Agley gripped the thing and squeezed it like a ketchup bottle. It was probably fine. It was a magical toad who could defecate thread. But more importantly to our story, Agley had her thread. She could go home. Or so she thought, based on the promises and, you know, every conversation up to that point. But she was married to a snake. He brought out a pair of iron shoes. When she wore those out, she could see her family. Ugh, what a hack, the wise woman said when Agley showed her the shoes. Like, come up with your own trials. Don't just rip off every fairy tale, the old woman sighed. Yeah, did the husband say she couldn't just throw them into the forge and melt them down that way? Agley thought about it. No. No, he didn't. So, she did. And the king of the serpents made a fist. The forge. What a loophole. He has the worst snake attorneys. I personally like to picture a tiny snake lawyer with its armless suit slinking off in shame. The king of the serpents nodded. All right, all right. He was a king snake man of his word. She could go. But she couldn't go without rabbit pie. What would she give her siblings and nieces and nephews? Agley said... Not rabbit pie? Literally anything else? The serpent king shook his head. Nope, no envoy from the serpent kingdom would be going without rabbit pie. That was ridiculous. Go into our well-stocked kitchen and make your dough. Five minutes later, Agla emerged from the kitchen. The king had hidden the buckets and bowls. How could she make dough without a bucket to fetch the water and a bowl to mix the dough? The king laughed, as if he would go into the kitchen. He was a king. That sounds like something she would do. Was she sure she wanted to go home? Maybe she should investigate those feelings, why she was you know, self-sabotaging. Agley rolled her eyes and, once again, went to talk to the wise woman. She did have a sieve. So in the end, she simply filled the sieve with her ingredients and put it in the water until it combined enough so that she could just knead it on the countertops. The Serpent King smiled. She did it. He wanted to make sure she was wise enough, smart enough to travel among the humans. It was a hard and dangerous world, and she needed the skills to survive up there. She passed the test. He ordered his snakes to applaud, but they were snakes. Aglaine nodded. Sure, that's exactly what that was. Anyway, she said she had the rabbit pie, she had her sons and daughter. It had been decades. She wanted to see her family. She was going. She sighed. She will be back, though. For as much as she didn't want to come here initially, and, you know, marry an actual snake who kidnapped her, this was her home now. This was the home of her children, the place where they belonged, and this was the kingdom that they would inherit. She would be back. The Serpent King traveled a good distance with the woman until they could see the shore of her homeland. It wasn't far from where she had been bathing on that fateful day, where he had strong-armed her into marrying him. We have such a beautiful love story, the Serpent King said with a smile. Then, that smile faded. Agley would be going to her home alone. 
He thought his in-laws might be a little touchy about kidnapping their daughter and threatening to destroy their lives. <laughs> Humans, am I right? He looked at Aglite. Too soon, got it. Anyway, the story says that the king told Aglite she could return to her homeland for nine days. At the end of the nine days, she should return to the shore and summon him so he could take her back home. All she had to say was Juvenus. Juvenelli. That's his name, by the way. If alive, may the sea foam milk. If dead, may the sea foam blood. Aglis said, Come on. He was really doing this? The whole time he tried to stop her from leaving. And he was apparently still up to it now. He was a magical serpent king who lived underneath the ocean. He was essentially saying that she could leave. Just hope he wasn't dead when she came back. Agle said that he would be fine. Come on, kids. She turned to her husband and kissed him on the cheek. See you in a little over a week. Ag- Agle took Azulus, Ursus, Barisus, and Drabula, and she made her way to the shore. She felt land for the first time in decades. The paths she used to take, the landmarks she used to pass on her way home, they were all familiar. They filled her with a sense of loss of a life that had been taken from her, but one she could never resume. For better or worse, her home was the sea now, with her children, and, you know, to a lesser extent, her husband. Her father was working in the fields, and when he saw the form walking from far off, he knew it immediately. He threw it on his hoe and ran to her. She started running toward him, and the pair embraced. He was weeping, and the rest of the family ran to her, holding her close. She smiled and introduced them to her children. Agla was home. On each of the nine days, she stayed with a different family member. And all of them came around to the house where she was staying to eat and speak with her every night. It was a happy time. A happy time that would be over too soon, they learned. It happened that Azulus was out playing with the older boys in the field. When, from behind Azulus, the other boys spotted something. They froze and then ran off. Azulus turned and he saw the men of the family. They asked if the boy was having fun. He nodded and couldn't help but notice that the house was far off that they were standing between him and the door to his mother. He swallowed hard. His grandfather, the farmer, knelt low. Agley had said that they were leaving after nine days. Ah, oh, that was too soon. Next time, they should come to visit Azulus in his kingdom. They'd bring presents and they'd have so much fun. How could they find the Serpent King's home? Azulus backed up. The grandfather looked to one of his sons, who looked to the house. The other boys would find their way back inside soon. Agle would wonder where Azulus was. Do you know what type of man your father is? Do you know what he did? Azulus swallowed hard, nodded. How are you getting home? How do you call him? Azulus's eyes widened, but he said nothing. The grandfather nodded to one of his sons, one of Agle's brothers, who brought out a sack. The farmer said that he had been out in the field this morning and he found something. The brother reached in the sack and the body of a headless serpent thudded in the dust. Azula shuddered. 
Oh, I hope that wasn't anyone you know, but we don't have any tolerance for snakes here. Not anymore, not after what your father did, the farmer said. Then, a call interrupted them. Azulus heard his name from inside the house. His mother was calling him. The farmer pursed his lips. Out of time. The men parted to allow Azulus to go back to his mom. The farmer caught him by the arm as he passed, and wrenched him over, until he was looking at the headless snake. You won't tell your mother about this talk, he declared, and let the boy go. Azulus took off in a run. He didn't tell his mother. He didn't tell anyone. Neither did Oasis or Berzus. That's how. When it came to Drebula, she was caught completely unaware. The youngest of the four, she broke down crying and begged them to take the snake away. But they persisted, demanding to know how she was going to call her father. She, the youngest, broke. She told them the poem. Juvenus Juvenelli. If alive, may the sea foam milk. If dead, may the sea foam blood. The farmer looked to his sons and daughters and smiled. He patted his granddaughter on the head. She made the right choice. Where is everyone? Aglaia asked her mother the following morning. Her mother sat back. Her father and brothers had awoken with a start in the night when someone forgot to close the stables. All the horses had gotten out and they took off across the countryside. The farmer called his sons and they went after the animals. The mom was certain they would be back before Aglaia left. They loved Aglaia. They would do anything for her. And they would, because, surprise, surprise, the horses didn't get loose they had been taken to the shore. Juvenus Juvenelli, if alive, may the sea foam milk. If dead, may the sea foam blood. In seconds, the sea began to foam milk, foam white. In a few more seconds, someone the farmer had never met, but instantly recognized, materialized in the surf. You called her, wait, the Serpent King started but he would never get to finish that sentence. For years, the farmer had been praying for the chance to do this to the man, the creature who had taken his daughter with threats of violence. The farmer had been a nice man, a happy man, but his anger toward the serpent king had consumed him. So much so that he would threaten his own grandchildren and, yes, bring down a scythe on the king of the serpents without hesitation. His sons joined in, each with a blade of their own, surrounding the Serpent King and hacking away. When the attack stopped, when the scythes came to rest, it was finished. The hacked and bloody remains of a serpent rocked in the surf. Aglae said a bittersweet goodbye to her family, who was surprisingly chipper for the day when their daughter would be leaving them again, to go back with her captor under the sea. She noticed that her children were silent, and Drabula was crying. She put her arm around her daughter, saying that it was sad to leave, she knew. But they were going home. 
Agli stood on the shore and said the poem, Juvenus, Juvenelli, if alive, may the sea foam milk, if dead, may the sea foam blood. And she heard only the waves in response. Then a scream went up from her children. At their feet, the tide had dimmed red with blood. She, she didn't believe it. She said the words again. Again, the waves were red. What, what had happened? I'm dead, Agle. I died, a disembodied voice said from the ocean. It was the Serpent King. I'm dead because your fathers and brothers cut me down with scythes. I'm not going to say I told you so, but kind of did. My call was given to them by Drabula, our beloved daughter. Agle turned. Drebla stood there, weeping. She said she was sorry. They threatened her. She was scared. Agle fumed. Her children. They would never be able to return home now. Agle saw the looks that her family gave them. The truth of their origin, of their father, wouldn't remain secret. They would forever be strangers in this land. And eventually... She feared that what happened to their father would happen to them. All because Drabula had divulged the secret of the call, which was Drabula's fault, apparently, after the child was threatened with violence by several grown men. Agle said one final goodbye to the children's ghost dad, who, I guess, only snuck around long enough to snitch on his daughter, and Agle took her children from the shore. She laid her hands upon the sons, saying that, since they had stood strong, they would stand strong forever. Azulus would be an oak tree. Ursus would be an ash tree. And Barisus would be a birch tree. That's what apparently all their names mean in Lithuanian. She, Agle, would be a spruce tree. And you. She turned to Drabula. Drabula would shiver day and night. The rain would cleanse her mouth and the wind would comb her hair. She would be a quaking aspen. In this way, the people stuck between two lands, the ocean and the sea, the serpents and the humans, they would stand the test of time, and through their children, spread across the face of the earth, and have a home in all lands. There's a lot to unpack for this story, and I hope I can do it justice. At first glance, it might look like Agla is completely the victim here. I mean, she was forced into a marriage with a snake, tricked into forgetting her home, and then turns into a tree because her children can never return home. And yes, that's all true, but I found a reading of the story that talks about how Agla is a woman who lives life on her own terms, despite the circumstances thrust upon her. In those times, girls could be given away in marriage to anyone who came along, and a very common fear in a lot of the stories we tell was that the man would be old, disinterested, or even worse, cruel. The girl would be forced to go to his house, serve him, and bear children. Agle takes those fears and confronts every one of them. She chooses to save her family and go with the, some have argued, Freudian snake, and despite probably the biggest change that any bride has ever experienced by going to an underwater kingdom made of amber, Agle not only survived, but she thrived 
she became the queen of the serpents. And when her husband tried to trick her into forgetting her homeland, she prevailed. When he tried to trap her with impossible trials, she rose above them. Even coming back home, knowing she couldn't stay, she successfully navigated both worlds. Down to the very end, when it looks like a tragic choice, it's still a choice that she made, not one that was thrust upon her. She showed resilience and kept her agency, even in the face of tragic consequences. This was a really interesting and complex story, and everyone is very human in their motivations and mistakes. It's the kind of story that I really enjoy doing on this podcast. Also, we had snakes slamming their heads on doors to knock, and geese and blouses, so how was I not going to do this one? Next week, we're back in the grim fairy tales, where we'll learn that if you have a purse that makes you unlimited gold, just take the gold and keep your mouth shut. Definitely don't tell that person with all the spears. The creature this time is the Scrat, from German folklore. The Scrat is like the Buttercat, which is now infamous on this podcast. If you don't know that one, the Buttercat is a cat that steals butter from your neighbors for you to sell and make some money? I don't know. The Scrat likes to be a bit more versatile. It's not a cat, not a Scrat cat, if you will, but a wet chicken. Sometimes it can shapeshift into a cat, dog, goose, fiery orb, or, quote, hair-covered man. One of the sources I found called it a Bogart, which is kind of like a mean, injurious fairy creature, and compared it to the Clericon, which is the Leprechaun's much more malicious, much more inebriated, red-clothed cousin. Though I'm not sure if this means that this is a drunk wet chicken that steals from your neighbors for you. One story has the Scrat taking the form of a child who, while helping out the family he was living with, was stealing milk from a neighbor's cow. The wife, who was concerned that the cow was underproducing, kept watch and saw a little child approach the cow, milk her, and then sink into the ground. Other stories have him meeting servants on the road and just beating them up for their goods. Once again, not as subtle as the Buttercat. They'll also defend your stuff with their own brand of over-the-top cruelty. One house had two servants who stole from them. The Scrat found them and burned all their hair off. Another woman befriended a Scrat and carried it around in a box. It was no bigger than a flea. She was robbed once, opened the box, and, well, she got her money back. The Scrat is a simple creature. Just give it some bread, butter, and porridge, and you're good. You have a brutal enforcer at your beck and call who will make you the most hated person in your neighborhood. Just make sure everyone is on the same page. In Germany, a family had a scrat that they fed and kept happy. But the youngest son was a bit hungry one day. So he found the food left out for the scrat and ate it for himself. This would have been bad, but stomach full, the boy decided to make things so much worse by using the scrat's food bowl as a toilet. The scrat, very displeased, burned down their house. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more music in the show notes. I want to say thanks again to Simply Safe for sponsoring us this week. Simply Safe is the home security for right now, when feeling safe at home has never been more important. Simply Safe was designed to be easy to use while protecting your whole home 24-7, starting at 50 cents a day. Order online easily, open the box, place the sensors, plug it in, and your home is protected around the clock. 
No technician has to come to your house. Head to simplysafe.com slash legends and get free shipping and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All right, thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time.